This past week, I had something very exciting happen. I got my visa to stay in the UK renewed. You may or may not be aware, but I am in fact an American, and that means I can't live or work in this country without a visa. I've been on one with Coastline for the last few years, but the time had come for me to renew it. And anytime you do any visa work, it's scary because the government can say no for basically any reason they want. And let me tell you, my journey to getting a visa has been a difficult and long one. In fact, when I called my mom to tell her the good news, she laughed at me and said, I can't believe nothing went wrong for you. Yeah, because a lot has gone wrong with my visas over the last 10 years since I first felt the call of God to the UK. In that time frame, I had so many almost. One time when all I needed was for a church administrator to make a phone call to give some pretty basic information, they lost the phone number and never made the call. Twice I've been approved by vicars and church staff only to have a PCC say, no, they didn't want me. Several organizations and churches said they'd sponsor my visa only to come up short financially for it. And just before I came to Coastline, the organization I was with made a typo on their documents. And that six, which should have been an eight, forced me to leave the country. It's been a journey to get a long-term visa. And for years, I had to fight to believe that God would be faithful to his word and to me. It was heartbreaking for me. Every time a no came through, I was devastated. It felt like my dream and my hope were constantly being beaten down. And every time I got my hope up again, it, it would be dashed by another thing falling through. I had my life on hold for years, living half in the UK, half in the US, never really able to plant in either, while month after month and year after year, what God had said about me and for me was challenged and attacked. It was painful. And honestly, it got to the point where I didn't want to believe anymore. I didn't want to have to keep trusting that God would do this. It was easier to think the Lord had forgotten me, less painful to assume that. Except the thing was, he kept talking about it. He kept reminding me of his faithfulness and asking me to trust him even in the midst of my sorrow and doubting and disappointment. So when I got the news three years ago that my first long-term visa had gone through, and again this past Monday when it was renewed, it was a moment of joy and celebration because he did what he said he was going to do. He was faithful. But in that process, in that testing of my faith, he taught me how to be faithful, to stay steadfast in what he'd asked me to do, to continue to worship him when I was kind of over it, really, <laughs> to pursue him even when my heart was hurting and he wasn't giving me the answer I wanted. We see this biblically as well with an incredible example of it in the book of Daniel. So the backdrop to this story is that the Israelites had been taken into exile and were living in Babylon which meant that they'd been taken from everything they knew and, and forced to live in a completely new way, ripped apart from their friends and families and their rhythms of life. Sound familiar at all? Yeah, things were hard for them. 
and they were about to get harder because the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar had built a massive golden statue and ordered everyone to bow down before it and worship his gods. So if you want to grab your Bibles, we'll start in Daniel 3 verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Pause. Let's talk about these three guys because they're pretty incredible. They were going to be killed and they knew it. They knew that by not worshiping the statue, they were committing a crime and they knew and understood the penalty for that crime. They also knew who their God was. They knew he's good and kind and powerful, that he was the only living God and so was the only one worthy of their worship. So they made a choice to remain faithful to him, to say, regardless of what happens to us, we will stand firm in our conviction of who the Lord is. And there's a key phrase in this passage that shows us the extent of their devotion in verse 18, where they say, but if not, they say, we believe he's going to save us, but if not, he's still God and he's still worthy of our worship. Our deliverance doesn't change who he is. And I would say the same to you. The Lord could come in and make all things better for you in a moment. But if not, he's still God and he's still worthy of your worship. He could come heal that disease, bring that prodigal son home, put a thousand pounds in an envelope through your door. He could do that. And I pray that he does. But if not, he is still God and he is still worthy of your full life and your full heart. We have to become a people of but if not, a people who is so undone by this God, so in love with him that we remain faithful to him regardless of our circumstances. He is so good, church. He is so worthy of that. And the only logical and acceptable response to his worth and to who he is, is to give him all our worship, all our heart, all our trust. See, the idea of faithfulness isn't just that we have a belief in God. 
or even that we have a basic trust of him. It's one step further. Faithfulness is when we hold on to our faith through trials and testings. It's an endurance and steadfastness that says, I have the ability to bear this pain and suffering because I trust that God is God, that he is good and faithful. And so I will love him regardless of what the world is saying or doing around me. It's recognizing what the author and revivalist Corey Ten Boom said, with Jesus, even in our darkest moment, the best remains and the very best is yet to come. Even in your darkest moments, Jesus is still Jesus. He is still fully God and fully good and and fully kind and fully faithful. He's still the best. Me not recognizing or feeling or believing that doesn't change it. I can say I don't believe in the rain, but I'm still going to get wet in it. And if I say God isn't good because what I'm going through right now, that he's not worthy of my faith, well, then I'm also saying that that thing, that desire, that outcome, that whatever it is, is more important than God. Because if any level of suffering, whether that's mine or yours, or just the suffering of the world can change his goodness, then he wasn't ever really good to begin with. So we decide to trust him now. We, we decide in the darkness. I'm so thankful for the dark seasons because I learned how to trust God's faithfulness before he was faithful. I learned how to be faithful to him, the only one worthy of my faith. And that's only possible in the trials, in the fire. We can only offer the Lord our full trust and our true worship in the fire and seasons of suffering. Think of it this way. In heaven, there is no suffering, no pain, no tears. And since we're going to see Jesus rightly there face to face in all his glory, worship isn't so much a choice as inevitable. But here on earth where pain and suffering are the norm, we can choose to worship him. We can feel our deep hurt and fear and still proclaim his goodness. That's only possible here and now in the fire. You might feel like you're in the fire and you might be, but this is where you learn faithfulness, where you learn endurance and perseverance, where you learn to fix your eyes on Jesus and rely on Holy Spirit and declare God can save me and I expect him to, but if not, he is still God and he is still worthy of my full life and heart. James 1, 2 to 4 says, to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Church, we need to let it have its full work in us. Let's go back to our three friends in the furnace though, because the story doesn't end there. We're going to pick up in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. 
Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. The Lord was faithful, but notice what his faithfulness looks like. He comes into the fire with them. There's a little scholarly debate on this, but I'm on the side that believes the fourth man in the furnace, the one who looks like a son of the gods, is in fact the son of God, a pre-incarnate Jesus. That he could have put the fire out or, or never gotten them thrown in there in the first place, but rather than protection from pain or some dramatic rescue, his faithfulness is often simply being with us, walking in the midst of the fire we find ourselves in. We might think it would have been easier for God to just stop it from happening or to pull them out. That might be what you're expecting of the Lord in your fiery furnace. But he never tells us there won't be fires. He just promises he's with us in them. And it's the being with us that changes everything. When they get pulled out of the fire, there, there wasn't a hair on their head singed or, or damage done to their cloaks. They didn't even smell a fire. I mean, I've been to bonfires where my hair still smells two days later. But compare that to the other guys in the story, the ones who were killed because they got too close to the heat of the furnace. There was a moment where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't know how the story was going to end or what the Lord's faithfulness would look like. They just knew God was faithful and that he'd be in that furnace with them. There's a balcony in my flat, and depending on the time of year, it means I can sit outside with my morning coffee and watch the sunrise. Some mornings are gorgeous, the, the reds and the oranges, and you just think, whew, dang God, you did really good. Some mornings are just kind of meh. Some are hazy or foggy, so I can't quite see it. And some mornings I miss it completely, too busy with life and getting my day going. But it's always there. Without fail, the sun rises every morning. Nothing has stopped it. And that's what the faithfulness of God is like. I might be too distracted to notice it or not fully appreciate it. I may be too concerned with my own hurt to pay attention. But I never doubt it or question it because it's always there. It always comes. And that's what his faithfulness is like. It always comes. God's faithfulness is sure and certain because his love for us is sure and certain. It never fails. 
And often when we're in those seasons of grief or suffering, our go-to question of why, why God, why me, is actually us asking, God, don't you love me? We immediately go to question his heart for us. And, and that's not a new thing, a new phenomenon. The lie and sin of distrust and unbelief that I can't actually trust God is repeated all throughout history, starting in the garden when Adam and Eve believed the serpent's lie. We tell ourselves that we can't rely on him, that we need to be self-sufficient, that if he was really as good as he says he is, this wouldn't have happened. And what we need in those moments, what you and I need in those moments isn't answers, but love to remember how much he loves us. I can't tell you why bad things happen. Theologians and atheists alike have been trying to work that one out for millennia, but I can tell you who God is. I can tell you about how much he loves you. And that's the key thing in all of this, because to know him is to love him. And to love him is to trust him. So when we struggle to trust and stay faithful to him in the midst of our suffering, we need to get to know him better. That can be hard in the fiery furnace. So let me remind you who the Lord is today. He is Emmanuel, God with us. The God who loves you so much, he gave up heaven to come as a baby and dwell amongst his people. He is Jesus, the God who died on the cross to make a way for eternal relationship with you. He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the one who thought up strawberries and galaxies and then decided the world needed a you. The God who saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not by dousing the fire, but by standing with them in it. He is a kind friend and a good father, and he loves you. He loves you so much and he is so faithful to your heart. So let's receive and expect his faithfulness this week. But let's also give him our faithful hearts, even here in the fire.